Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spiegel, and today we are happy to welcome our next guest, to discuss the topic of where is the best place to run your ads. This guest, after reading a post on Tim Ferriss' blog, realized he had no passion for the career he was in and made a change. A self-proclaimed math nerd, he focused on writing technical articles about Facebook, which eventually led him to running social ads for customers. Here, representing Agency J, say hello to Jason Howe. Hi, Jason. Hey, Andy. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Now, before we dive into today's topic, which is where is the best place to run your ads, let's first hear your backstory and what ultimately led you to do what you are doing now. Yeah, well, just for me, I was stuck in a place where uh, I was actually in the first year of university and I was on a full ride scholarship from the government. And here in Singapore, basically how it works is we would study for four years. And upon graduation, we would go back to a government agency and work for two years, kind of in exchange for the sponsorship. So to me, back then, I was caught in the competitive sphere and the environment where everyone was hustling and everyone was looking to get in some of the top paying careers like consulting, banking and finance. And I was there wondering, like, what exactly do I want to do after I graduate? And I knew in my mind that I had like a six-year runway compared to most people, which is why I really wanted to find or spend the time in university, really exploring my interests, what I don't like, what I want to do. So that's basically how I really got started. And one day I, you know, just came across Tim Ferriss' article and it really kind of brought me back to a couple of years, just like one to two years before that, where I was actually interning at a startup incubator um, called for the Founders Institute. And I was helping out um, at the Institute as an intern, doing some of the administrative stuff. But what it allowed me to do was to see how a lot of these entrepreneurs actually pitch their startups and build their business. So it got me kind of interested into the whole idea of building a business. However, um, back then I was trying to build kind of like a tech startup, just like every cool kid out there. I ended up just coming up with kind of like, um, an application in terms of, um, like helping you to track your finances and your expenses. Um, I think in America, there's a really big one called Mint at a time. And I think it was acquired by Intuit in about 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. And Back then, I basically came up with a similar idea. I drew the mock-up. I went to conferences um, and, you know, just start up weekends and just spoke to people. And I realized that at the end of it, 
at the end of like one to two years, I wasn't getting very far with the idea. But what I realized was that I really liked coming up with the idea, talking to customers, asking them for their feedback, and I just enjoyed the whole business development process. So when I read the Team Ferris article, um, in the article, I think it's something like eight steps of hacking credentials in any field. Um, the first step was just, you know what, pick a topic, pick uh, something that you just want to dive deep into. So back then I was like, hey, maybe I should pick social media marketing because back then Twitter was new and Facebook was new and like Facebook just IPO in that same year. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just dive into social media marketing. Now, of course, um, nine years on, I recognize how foolish that was because social media marketing is such a huge topic. And like, you know, you have to go into the deep ends if you really want to understand everything and it's just impossible. So that's really how I got started. Okay. Now, Tim Ferriss, for those that might not know, he's the author of The 4-Hour Workweek. Had you read his books? Were you following his blog? Was it a random blog? What, what led you down that path? Yeah, so interestingly, I knew about him, but I had this kind of like, um, what do you call that? Allergy to overhyped stuff. So when I, you know, heard about Tim Ferriss everywhere and everyone was talking like great about him and like, to be fair, he is really good. But it's just that at the time I was so close-minded, I just, you know, wanted to stay away from any gurus or that sort. However, I did come across this article one day, I think it was on Google or something or one of those uh, blogs or websites. And I ended up just coming across that article. So I didn't read any of his book or even watch or listen to any of his podcast, but I just ended up reading the article and that in fact was actually the first and the last article I read from Tim Ferriss. That's amazing. That's amazing. That shows for content creators like him, like me, that just one blog post can, can change somebody's directory. I'm, I'm sure that'd be very rewarding if he heard that. Now, you started writing Facebook ads. You're, it's 2011, 12, social media is going crazy. They're both IPOs. Had Did you know anything about social media or marketing of social media at the time? No, I, I don't. So the first thing I picked up was, I, I remember I picked up a book and I picked up a couple of different blogs and articles. I started reading them. I think a couple of the first people were like Mari Smith were writing and you had John Loomer, who is still very popular until today. So that's really how I got started. And what happened was at one of the startup conferences that I still continue going to, I met a career coach who happens to be coaching a startup founder. And, you know, their startup founder needed someone to run their Twitter marketing or their Twitter channel or handle. So, you know, I just got the first geek as an intern writing tweets every day, trying to drive traffic to their publication. Um, and that's really how I got started. And then you branched out into full out Facebook ads and became an expert and took on clients or, or how did that work? Yeah, so it was actually a little longer than that because being in school, I actually dedicated quite a lot of time to study uh, initially because I still had to maintain a certain kind of a GPA and results in order to stay on a scholarship program. So apart from that, uh, what I did was I continued to write a lot of articles. So everything I, I read, I went through the Fer Tim Ferriss article um, is exactly as it prescribes, read about a topic, write blog posts. I wrote uh, about 100 blog posts in the space of a year. 
And that was when I kind of changed upon Facebook marketing and Facebook metrics and the numbers. I started writing things that are a bit more technical. And then uh, basically a blog, or not a blog, uh, the software founder, uh, I think it's pretty um, famous today. It's called Agora Pulse, one of the largest social media management tool. So the founder, Amerik, actually picked up on my article and he reached out to me. So he said, Jason, I really love the way you write. You write about technical stuff that no one else is writing because everyone is writing about fluffy type of general marketing advice, but you're diving deep into the numbers. Uh, and it was telling me my writing is very technical, it's good. But I mean, of course, I had a couple of things I need to touch up on because it can be very boring. Um, However, Emery just gave me the chance to say, why don't you come over and write for our blog? Just write, you know. And so I ended up writing dozens of articles for, for him and his website. Um, and, you know, his software took off and a lot of people started noticing and read my articles and they started reaching out to me and asked me, could I consult for them? And I started from consulting to actually eventually taking up a couple of gigs. And that's really how I got started with Facebook ads. And so today you are running just Facebook ads? Are you running other marketing channels? What What are you specializing in? Yeah, so we I have a team. Uh, we actually have an agency team of 10 people. Um, and today we actually, for, for paid traffic, we actually focus on mainly Facebook and Instagram. However, we do do a bit of Google and YouTube ads only for existing clients. So we add, we offer those as an add-on service for clients who we have figured out the paid marketing messages, the emails and the funnels for. Okay. And what about e-commerce clients? Most of the listeners to this podcast are, are e-commerce. They'd be curious, have you had any experience running Facebook ads for e-commerce clients? Yeah. Interestingly, I mean, as a freelancer, uh, initially you would usually just take on any business that comes along. So I have worked with, I would say about a dozen e-commerce businesses, even though I do not work with any e-commerce businesses today, our agency space is actually in the course creation and um, also in the on the high ticket coaching space. Uh, but interestingly, I have a, a really funny story to talk about. A couple of years ago, being a Singaporean, we are uh, multilingual over here, which means that uh, for me, I speak uh, both English and Mandarin. and what happened was a Chinese company actually approached me and asked me to say and asked me if I could run their ads in America for them because they owned a factory to produce clothes and they wanted to drop ship over to the United States. They had a warehouse over there, but they just needed someone who understood the market, who wrote, uh, who can write English and run the ads. Um, so I ended up working with them. They were not my first e-commerce uh, uh, client, but they were one of the biggest because the first thing I asked them, you know, I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's just talk about that. What products do you have? How much do you want to spend on ads? And like straight up, they told me, um, I'm looking to start at $100,000 a month looking to scale to a million dollars a month. That was just like, wow. Like, wow. On, on Facebook ads alone? On Facebook ads, yeah. So what happened was That's that incredible. they had a budget they had a budget of $300,000 a month to spend. And they ended up getting their internal marketers, media buyers to run alongside me. So we had three accounts and each account spent about $100,000 a month on ads. So it, it was just crazy, but also really eye-opening. Now, did you charge a percentage of spend? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could, but at a time, because they were considered a startup, I think they were funded uh, by some investors. So they needed to make a lot of money back out of like whatever they invested. So I just sim simply took a retainer of that. Uh, it was a pretty sizable retainer, but it was uh, definitely not as much as what a lot of e-commerce agencies charge today as a percentage of ad spend. So I read 
one of your articles where you said that success in Facebook ads comes down to three things, an irresistible offer, a converting <laughs> funnel, and a high quality traffic. Let's yeah. talk about each of these as different pieces. So starting with an irresistible offer, how, how do you define that? Yeah, so I learned this from Todd Brown, who is really the gurus of all the marketing gurus. And like, he's he's really a great guy. Uh, so when it comes to an irresistible offer, it needs to fulfill um, a couple of criteria. The first one is it needs to really um, explain the benefits of whatever the product or service you're selling so well um, that people look at them and like, hey, this is exactly what I need. It also needs to be um, of the no-brainer, which means to say that uh, when someone looks at a price and the entire package of the offer, they would be like, you know what? I would be stupid if I didn't take this up. And the final criteria that Todd also mentioned was uh, to make it superior. So not only you know, do, does it have to espouse really great benefits? Not only does it need to uh, be a no-brainer, it also needs to be superior to competitors and similar offerings out there. So with e-com, I think a lot of it comes down to the way you position the product, especially let's say if you're in a space or where you're selling supplements, you could sell a weight loss supplement to uh, pregnant moms, you could sell weight loss supplements to menopausal women, or you can sell weight loss supplements to um, just general um, the female on the male population. Um, well, depend, depending on how you position the product, there are different pricing mechanisms you can use. There are different ways you can say that, hey, this is actually a subscription model. There are really like dozens and dozens of ways that you can package your offer and you have to make it irresistible to the people that you're marketing to. Um, so that really uh, is the, the part on the irresistible offer. Okay, so then the next step, you got your irresistible offer, they've clicked. And the next step you put down is a converting funnel. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, so just before I jump into that, the one thing that ties together all three, uh, the irresistible offer, the converting funnel, and a high quality traffic comes down to the message. So the message is what ties everything together as the backbone. You have need to have a consistent message that you're sharing or showing across all of the three. The offer, if you know, if you go through what Todd Brown teaches, part of the E5 methodology, is that the offer is only a part of the message. Um, so when it comes to the converting funnel, what I really mean is when someone goes through the experience that you've designed for them, whether it is the funnel page or going to the, the page where they can buy a product, uh, they need to be convinced to buy and it needs to convert at the at a rate that is actually at least minimally break even, if not profitable. So that is really what I mean by a converting funnel. Okay. So congruency with the funnel and the offer. And yeah. then the high quality traffic, that's just the audience that you identify or, or how do you how do you get to that high quality traffic with using audiences in Facebook? Yeah, so first of all, I think every business owner needs to get to a point where they understand who their customers are. And from there, we start defining what are some of the targeting parameters on Facebook and to easily reach the, the, these group of people. However, that is just casting a wide net. The most important thing is that if your offer and your funnel and your message are on point, 
that actually serves as the second targeting layer. So the white net just allows you to reach them, but what pulls people in ultimately are your ads, are your copy on both your ads, as well as your landing page, as well as your sales page, as well as your emails and everything that you have going on in every part of your marketing system. So the, again, back down to the message, the targeting at the end of the day, it's, it's a two-step process. The first part is defining the targeting parameters on Facebook. And secondly, the entire marketing system that pulls the right prospect into your system. What have you found to be some of the challenges with running Facebook ads? Um, well, I think when it comes to challenges, there are two kinds. One is um, the kind that I would say is man-made. When I say man-made, I literally mean, uh, for example, as an agency where we don't qualify a client well, or when we try to take on every client in every single niche, or when we take on clients that are just not a good fit for us. Uh, that can be a huge challenge when a client, let's say, does not have um, a funnel that is working with paid traffic and they expect results within 30 days. That it's going to be really hard because it creates a lot of mental stress and emotional labor for the entire team. Now, the second thing is really on Facebook side of things, and you must have heard of iOS 14.5 and the impact it has on ads. So I know a lot of people in the e-commerce space, um, fortunately, have not really been impacted that badly. But from what I understand in the info space that we operate in, we literally have seen drastic decreases in performance. Um, and we are only just starting to see, you know, 60 to 70% of our accounts come back uh, to where it was previously. And we just had to do so much work. I think a lot of the challenges come down to dealing with the instability of the platform. Even before iOS 14, every quarter, we have at least one or two big things that happen on Facebook that just completely disrupt the performance that require you to change things up. They just basically just create a lot of work for you and your team. So that I would say is, is like is one of the biggest challenge that, I mean, simply it is out of your control, but what is within your control is your ability to choose the kind of clients you work with, the kind of campaigns you work with, or even for you guys, if you guys are e-commerce business owners, you guys would be choosing the agency to work with. You want to make sure that you work with someone with experience, with the right uh, heart, you know, with the right fit in terms of culture and understanding of the expectations. You know, I mean, you made a great point. If for those that are looking to outsource their social marketing is to make sure you're working with, with an agency that has experience in your vertical and also you, you fit well with. Now, you had mentioned the new iOS 14 update. As far as I understand it, that iOS 14 update just has to do with lookalike audiences. Is it, is it more than that? Um, so actually, it is more than that. Um, so first of all, it doesn't really affect lookalike audiences and I'll explain that in a bit. So there are really two parts to the whole puzzle here. The first part is that people have to first update and you know kind of um, get their iOS system updated to 14.5. And the minute they do, uh, they are actually opted out of the system. However, this updating process typically takes about two to six months for every iOS update. Personally, even for myself, I have not updated my iPhone to the latest iOS. Um, however, for those people who have updated, there is a huge difference in the opt-in rates between different countries. From what I know, for US is among one of the least because a lot of people do not trust Facebook, uh, generally in the public. But for a lot of the other countries outside of the United States, uh, the opt-in rate apparently seems to be rather high. So again, that's the first part of it is, is 
Apple rolling out the update and users updating their system to iOS 14.5. Uh, the second thing is that uh, Facebook itself has made a lot of defensive and reactive changes with its algorithm and system in order to accommodate and tackle the iOS 14.5 changes or the anticipated impact of it. And that change has been what we have faced um, recently and it's really, I guess, the, where the impact is coming from because a huge update we're seeing missing data. We are seeing like the whole middle of funnel ads completely not working in many accounts. And basically middle funnel is like retargeting all your warm audiences, warm, um, yeah, warm traffic. We are looking at your website visitors to your Facebook, Instagram, engaged audiences and all these people. So this is where we're currently seeing the most impact. Now, in terms of the kind of impact, you mentioned lookalike audiences earlier. There are actually three kinds of impact that we would normally get for iOS 14.5. The first one is at the tracking level. So with iOS 14.5 and the new um, ATT standards, Basically, Facebook is only allowed to report on events uh, or rather Facebook is only allowed to report on up to eight events for every single one of our ad accounts. Now, if you optimize, let's say, for a purchase for a typical e-commerce audience. Now, is, uh, that, what is that, I'm sorry, is that ad account or I thought it was by pixel? Yeah, so uh, at the ad account, you would optimize and select that you're, you want to optimize for the, the purchase event on the Facebook pixel, but uh, the pixel is basically attached to, to the ad account. Uh, so when you optimize for a purchase event, you usually have intermediate events that you're also tracking. So you're tracking things like add a cart, you're tracking things like mm -hmm. initiate checkout, you're tracking things like add payment methods as well. In the past, all of those data would be populated. However, if a user opts out of iOS, uh, sorry, opts out of the tracking by Facebook, Facebook is only allowed to report the event that you're optimizing for. In this case, that would be purchase. Mm. So you might end up in a situation where you have more purchases for than at the cart, and you might have more purchases than checkouts initiated. If you were a Facebook advertiser, how would you actually optimize because in some cases, if you don't see purchases and you don't see add cards, you might be thinking these audience must be really low quality because they are not converting. Or you might be getting a lot of purchases, but none of your added cards or checkouts initiated are really working and you're, and you're looking at it and you're wondering to yourself, are these purchase numbers really accurate? So it really puts you in a kind of uh, situation where you're quite unsure, uh, and you know, like you no longer can really look at data in at the kind of granular level. So you really got to really focus on just the key metrics and just you know make bigger changes and just be a bit bolder with the kind of changes you make. This so that's ultimately the, so, benefits. So I'm sorry. So so that's yeah, the, the solution is to look at the bigger picture then. Yeah, the, the definitely the solution is to look at a bigger picture. Uh, and also this definitely benefits a lot of the more experienced advertisers as well as established e-commerce stores. If you're just starting out today, it's going to be really difficult because you're not going to see much in terms of the added cart as well as checkout initiated. However, some possible workarounds is to just simply set up campaigns to you know optimize for added cart or optimize for checkouts initiated until you get some purchase activity going on. So that could be one possible workaround, but it just simply means that you just got to work a lot harder as a new advertiser in this space. Interesting. Now, when you take over a ad account, somebody who's already advertising on Facebook and you're reviewing yeah. their account, what are some of the biggest money wasters that you've seen common when 
when people are advertising this <laughs> on Facebook? Yeah, um, I've seen a lot, and a lot of times, you know, it's funny because even when some people run ads badly, they can still get results with a really great offer and a converting funnel, uh, and that really points to just how important having a great offer and a converting funnel is. But on the point of um, some of the mistakes or some of the pitfalls that I often see or the you know money wasters, it's just people running losing ads for way too long. I've seen ads that have been left running to for like thousands of dollars mm-hmm. when they didn't generate as either a single sale or a single call or a single important metric. Uh, and some of these people just, you know, set and forget. And what happens is I often take over from agencies that just have been too overwhelmed with too much work or they just haven't really cared too much about the account. So a lot of the, I would say the money wasters are left in just not paying enough attention to the ads itself. So we talked about Tim Ferriss a bit. Are there any books or business mentors that have inspired you on your journey other than Tim Ferriss? Um, I would, there are actually a lot of business books that I've read, but I would say among the most memorable one was um, The Third Door by Alex Banayan. Um, and the reason for that is because it really just made me feel energized and inspired. I finished the book in two days, which was literally just something I never do. Uh, such a easy read, but it just puts so many ideas in your mind that you're like, hey, actually, there are so many other ways you could go about building a business. And you could really, I would say, um, use it as a way to kind of inspire yourself if you're if you ever find yourself in you know a, a, a fix or in a position where you just don't know what to do. So I would definitely recommend picking up the book. Um, it's The Third Door by Alex Banayan. Great. Thank you. Now, let's switch for a minute and talk about Agency J. What are the problems that you as, as your agency, I'm referring to you, but what, what kind of problems are you guys solving for your clients? Yeah, so we primarily solve the problem of taking their business from doing about half a million dollars a year to over a million and up to five, $10 million a year. So we basically take businesses that are doing about 50K a month on average, um, and we basically scale them to multiple six-figure months. And we often do that by addressing a couple of key fundamental loopholes in the business from a paid traffic or from a scaling perspective. Um, so very similar to e-commerce thinking where we are looking at things like average order value, customer lifetime value. We also look at packaging the offers in order to increase the average order value. We also create backend offers in order to increase the customer lifetime value. Um, we primarily also run a lot of ads. Um, a lot of our clients sometimes come to us without a working funnel. So we honestly mm-hmm. much prefer working with clients with already a kind of like some sort of a paid, a working paid funnel, paid traffic funnel, because it's just so much work trying to test things and convert them. And we always want to deliver results quickly. So if clients come to us without like a paid working funnel, we always tell them that, you know, we have to manage the expectations. It will take a lot of testing and a lot of patience and just a lot of just diving into the deep ends and working with us to figure this out for them. Um, and it usually takes about 60 to 90 days to crack it. Uh, but for clients with paid traffic funnels, are working, they are working and delivering profits, we can easily scale and you can see results within weeks. And typically we would generate between uh, three to five X ROAS at a six figure revenue mark every month. And who, who is your perfect customer? Who's your perfect client? Yeah, so the perfect customers uh, would be either high-ticket coaches or cost creators doing at least half a million dollars a year in sales, and they have 
uh, working paid funnels and they deliver great results for existing students. Um, so we primarily and we select our clients because we only want to work with um, clients that are making an impact, a positive impact on their customers. And as a way, like what we are doing is basically multiplying their efforts uh, and multiplying that impact. So like those are the key indicators of what a perfect customer looks like. And if somebody listening, if that fits their bill, how can they reach you? Yeah, so the easiest way to reach me would be jason at agencyj.co. That's .co at the end. Um, they can also visit our website, agencyj.co. Again, it's .co, not .com. Uh, and personally, I've started rewriting a blog, you know, Back then, I, I, a blog started my career. Just last week, I decided to hop back on and restart writing my blog. I already put out three blog posts. I'm looking to chronicle and share things that we are using and doing to help our coaching clients grow. We're also doing, uh, you know, kind of doing some internal or some private sharing in terms of the kind of issues that we face in our agency and how we navigate around these issues. So yeah, so feel free to subscribe, go to jasonhjh.com uh, and you can subscribe to my blog or you can just go to agencyj.co if you want to find out more about our work. And finally, what would you say to someone who is a bit hesitant about advertising using Facebook? Um, I would say that like they don't have to make up their mind right now. They can actually just take it one step at a time. Just figure it a little about about it. I mean, just figure it out a little at a time. Read up on blogs uh, and just open up an ads manager. Come up with a copy. Come up with a, a creative. Come up with an offer. Come up with a page and just run some traffic to it. You know, spend ten twenty dollars a day. Uh, get a feel for it and try to understand the numbers on your own. And once you have some bit of familiarity where you know enough to be dangerous, you know enough to speak to potential agencies and freelancers to run your ads, I think that's where you, you, you can really get started. Uh, you don't have to really commit to it. It's not like you need to whip up like $1,000 right now to commit to spending $1,000 on Facebook. You can easily start with $10, $20. Even if you end up not finding Facebook to work for you, you can still use Facebook to kind of find the messages that best resonate with your audience. You know, you will see Interesting. that it sets so, from the click rates and stuff. So you would suggest that business owners begin to learn it themselves before even thinking yeah. about hiring an agency? 100%. And how how can they start? How can they how can they learn? How how can they learn enough to be dangerous, as you said? Yeah, so the I would say the best place was to jump right into Facebook groups. Uh, if you guys are in e-commerce space, I'd recommend checking out Deepesh Mandelia. He's actually um, a, a British uh, marketer who is now migrated to Canada. Um, and uh, he, he does really great stuff. I think he has a Facebook group called the Facebook Experts Academy or Facebook Ads Experts Academy. Uh, definitely go in, check it out. He shares really good stuff regarding e-commerce. He runs trainings all the time. So that would be a first place uh, I would recommend checking out. I don't find YouTube to be a great resource to be very, to be very uh, clear uh, because I find that a lot of people just tend to share what they know and what they know might not be what works universally. And I find that the most comprehensive training to have come from Deepash as compared to a lot of other marketing gurus out there. Great. Well, thank you. Now, before we wrap it up, is there anything else that I would be amiss if I forgot to ask you today? Uh, no, not really. But thank you so much, Andy. It's been a great time. Great. Well, that's it for today. Remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcast and leave us an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Jason or Agent CJ, I will put those links in the show notes. 
In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business using Google paid ads, request to join the Make Each Click Count Facebook group. I've been releasing some all new free live trainings and more will be happening soon. In the meantime, remember to stay safe, keep healthy and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing.